0: Uh, I'm super excited today. I just met my new friend Jace here. I want to introduce you guys, too. So Jace uh, is from Vancouver Vineyard. I'm very excited because uh, it's not very often that somebody has more setup than I do uh, to get ready teaching. So this is super exciting for me. And there's a whiteboard involved, so I'm very excited. Uh, So um, I'm uh, uh, I'm excited to have Jace here. Uh, A fourth of our church, I think, is in Hawaii. So we're the ones who were not invited to Hawaii, um, and so uh, we'll be here. <laughs> um, but our treat is that we get to listen to Jace. So uh, Jace, uh, let me pray for you real quick, and then we'll get going. Um, God, thank you so much for, for Jace and the word that you put on his heart to come and share with us. But I pray that you would uh, that you would speak to him, that you would speak through him, that you would open our hearts, and that you would transform us through what he shares uh, to be more like you. Amen. Is this on?
1: Good. Okay. Um Hi guys, good morning. Um, you're all thinking, who is this child that's come to speak to us today? Um, I'm 25, still, I, I promise I'm turning into a man. Um, I, my name's Jace, that's uh, my wife Michaela, and my sister-in-law Tess are here. Um, I graduated from uh, Warner Pacific College um, with a Bible degree a little while ago, and then just recently I graduated from a Western Seminary doing further Bible study. Bible studies. So, um, I love, I love jumping into God's word. I, um, I'm going to have it on the screen. So if you can't see it, I apologize. Maybe just slide. And then, um, confession, I am just more of a teacher than I am a preacher. So we're just going to have some like things on a board and I just, I can't help it. It's just going to turn into a lesson rather than a, uh, so, uh, let's just go to the classroom together and hopefully you guys can have grace for me. Um, So Glenn told me about your series on giftings right now that aren't necessarily talked about in 1 Corinthians 12. That's a great series because I think there are a gazillion gifts that God equips his people with. So he gave me just where he's been pulling from, and one of the lists he's been pulling from actually is from 1 Peter. And when I saw that list, um, I lit up like a Christmas tree because this last fall I um, did a seven-week class at my church on the book of First Peter, where we took a deep dive. And you guys, if you haven't read this book recently, just start reading it. It'll change your life. It'll blow your mind. And I'm excited because we're going to talk about it today. Um, and I want to talk particularly about, actually, let's go to, so first, if you have your Bibles, you can work with me. Otherwise, you can look at the screen. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Um, I'm just going gonna, gonna to show you where we're starting. This is what, one of the lists that Glenn's been using. So look at what Peter says in t- um, 4.10. He says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's, grace, of God's very grace. Excuse me. Whoever speaks as one who speaks. Oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So Glenn said he wants to talk about generosity and hospitality. One of the ones he wants to talk about is service. Um, and then he pointed me here and I saw it and I was like, okay, I'll take service. That's what I want to do. Um, so what I want to do is talk about service in the context of First Peter, um, as Peter was talking about it, and hopefully that will uh, be beneficial for all of us. And as I was going over it this week, I got super excited again about this book. So let's do it. Um, before we actually talk about service, though, the game plan is I'm going to give you an overview of the what First Peter is doing in First Peter, because when you get to four chapter ten or um, chapter four verse ten, excuse me. It's, the payoff is incredible if you know what he's doing for the rest of the book. So go back to First Peter chapter 1. Some of you guys are like, man, I did not sign up for a Bible class right now. It's too early in the morning. Okay, here's how we're going to do it. We're just going to start reading, and then we're going to lay out Peter's key themes, and they're awesome. Okay, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we all know this guy, um, close friend of Jesus, one of the twelve. A uh, local fisherman in Galilee who got to get the job promotion to get become a fisher of, fisher of men, right? Um, and we Peter actually, for those of you that don't know, he spearheaded the movement of the, the Christian church in Jerusalem at the beginning. The first half of Acts is about him trying to figure out what it means to be a pastor in Jerusalem. So he's writing right now to, well, I'll show you. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Now just pause for a second. Every word in the Bible counts. And he just threw a lot at you and wants you to think about it. Why does he call his audience the elect exiles of the dispersion? And check out where these people are, by the way. This is intentional. They're in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And you guys are all like, oh, yeah, totally. I know those places. Um, okay, this is modern-day Turkey, for those of you that don't know. Um, and in biblical times, modern-day Turkey, these cities, this is, um, this is welcome to Gentile world. The majority of your Bible has been right in, um, right to the right of the Mediterranean Sea, in Israel, some a little bit in Egypt, right? A little north, and we've just been camped out there for a million pages. And then we get to uh, your New Testament, and all of a sudden we're starting to hear about up north, over west, modern-day Turkey. And the question is, who who is this audience that he's writing to? And why is he using, check this out, language that is specifically in your Bible reserved for Jewish people? Um, Elect or chosen exiles. This is like, if you know your Old Testament, this is just lighting up off the page. Why Why would he call them that? Of the dispersion. This is what the title used to given that was given to the Jewish people when they were spread out. So why would he why would he call them that? So, I'm going to get a picture going to establish the themes. If you like to take notes, this is fine. If you don't, maybe you're just a visual learner like me. Okay. So, you have Peter. There he is. He's doing that. Okay. He's writing a letter to a bunch of people. And the first thing He's going to establish, Now, just watch this. This is brilliant how he does this. Verse 2. He's writing to these people according to the foreknowledge of God, a huge Old Testament term, uh, the God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Okay, now I'm going to speed this up. We're going to go lightning speed because we don't have time to probe. By the way, if you guys have questions, you can raise your hand again. Classroom for today. You don't have to worry. Okay. Uh, sprinkling. There are three places in your Old Testament where people are sprinkled. One of them is a nuanced situation that has to do with leprosy, and I would argue that it might not even warrant making it into the list, whatever. But there are two other primary places. And one, um, priests get sprinkled with blood. And then the other one is in Exodus 24. And you guys are like, oh my gosh, totally Exodus 24. Exodus 24, the covenant The covenant's confirmed. God gets his people out of Egypt. You remember this? And he brings them to Mount Sinai. And then he gives them what? On tablets. You know what I'm talking about? The law. Thank you. Feel free. Feel free. And when he gives them the law, they read it. Oh, check it out. This is great. Uh, Let's see. Oh, yeah, right here. This is what they say. They read the law, and Moses is talking to them, and they go, Hey, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we're going to do it. Do we know the story of the Old Testament? How does it go? right? But they say, we're going to do it. So Moses writes down all these words. And then at the end of the day, he takes, look at this. Moses takes half the blood of the sacrifice. Sorry, we're going so fast, but I want to just show you this. Look at this. Moses takes half the blood and he puts it in the basin and half the blood he throws against the altar. Then he takes the book of the covenant. He reads it to the people and they say, yep, we're going to do it. We're going to be what? Obedient. Remember that word. We're going to be obedient. And Moses takes the blood, and then he throws it on the people. And you're like, what just happened? He's thrown it on an altar, and now he's just, imagine, getting hit with blood. And you're allowed, when you're reading the Bible, to be like, that's bizarre. Because it is. It's strange. He throws it on the people, and he says, check out what he says. Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And remember, what do they say they're going to do? Be obedient. Be obedient. So, go back to 1 Peter. Check out what just happened. He calls them the elect exiles. In other words, he gives them, let's write this down, um, theme number one. Peter loves this theme, identity. And what he wants you to know about the identity of his audience is that they are chosen. And that's another way to translate "eklectoi,"s which is the word elect, chosen, elect. Um, exiles. They're chosen exiles, and they've been, check it out, sprinkled with his blood. And what are they, they going to do? Obedient to whom? To Jesus. Now, this is just so rich, you guys, with Old Testament imagery. And what Peter's trying to get you to see is that your identity now as new covenant believers is intrinsically attached to this old covenant. That was, you are now God's people along with the children of Israel. Do you see? And Peter's going to appeal to this identity before he tells you to do anything. Do you know who you are? You are sprinkled with the blood. And then his readers are like, oh yeah, like Exodus 24. Right? Okay, cool. All right. That's theme number one. There are going to be three. Theme number two. Let's just keep reading to figure it out. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And by the way, we're moving so fast, but I wish we could talk about some of these. We can't. Read First Peter, I promise you. It'll blow your mind. Okay, verse 3. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a what? To a living hope. Thank you. I love the confidence there. To a living hope. Watch this. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. By God's grace, or sorry, who who by God's power, sorry, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Clear as mud. Everyone's like, oh man, the prepositions in the New Testament, the prepositional phrases, you're like, I'm lost. That's okay. I want to, Show you theme number two. Peter is, as well as identity, he's also obsessed with this idea of, and I'm going to just symbolize it with a cloud over here. Um, this idea of hope. You will not make it through the book. I promise you, you will not make it through the book without having this. Just you, your you will, your head will be sore from him just hitting you with it. He's obsessed with this because, for Peter. Um, it's because of what your hope is in and who you are that you're able to endure the hard times that will come, which is going to be, that's a spoiler that's our third theme. But what I want to talk about this theme real quick, he talks about it being an inheritance that never fades. And where is it kept for you? you see that? See right here, it's kept in heaven for you. And um, you're being guarded through faith for a salvation that will be, will be revealed, do you see this, in the last time. So part of this hope is, I'm going to put two words here. And I'm sorry I'm moving so fast, you guys, but I promise the payoff's really good. Your hope is um, part one. I think you can see it in verse three. It's a living hope. So I'll write the word living. Um, and it has something to do with this salvation that's going to be revealed. And you're kind of left puzzling what that means. That's okay. But you were familiar with the word salvation. It's like, oh, I thought I... I, I got salvation when I first believed in Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, right? Isn't that salvation? And I would say, yes, and read your Bible. Because the Bible's going to talk about salvation as something that you have in faith in Jesus, but also something that's going to be revealed in the last time when you see Jesus. And so it has to be a part of this hope that you have. And in addition to that, he calls it a living hope. Because for Peter, you guys, your hope is so attached to this person of Jesus, well, let me say it like this. Um, Did Jesus stay dead? No. He rose again. So Jesus is alive. And this is why your hope is living. Because it's married to his blood. You see? So it's not just that you have hope in something. You have hope in someone. And it's going to be revealed as he comes. He comes back, yeah? Cool, okay. Love it. So this is part of your hope. Now, um, go down to verse 6. Sorry we're moving so quick, but hang with me. In verse 6, in this, in your hope, right, you, check out this word, rejoice. I'm going to symbolize that by some cute little smiley faces. Look how happy these people are. They're rejoicing. But why? It's not just because they had a good day. It's because this is locked in place. You see? Now they're rejoicing in this hope, though now, keep reading verse 6, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by what? Various trials. This is the third and final theme. Sorry, excuse me. Not final. There's a bunch of themes. We just can't talk about them all. Primary. Primary. Grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold, and perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so last part of the picture, I'm gonna because Peter chooses to use it um, with with fire language. That's how he talk. That's how he's gonna talk about suffering and trials. Um, I'm just gonna symbolize it. Being too morbid with fire around these people. Um, Final theme I'm gonna put suffering. Okay, this is it. Um, Quick trick for you guys every book of your Bible will do this, I promise you. Within the first two chapters, your authors are so intentionally loading you up with all of the key themes, what you need to be looking for when you read this book, that will be explored throughout the rest. I, sw- I swear. It's inc- your Bible is incredible. It's insane. But First Peter especially, I'm a big fan right now. <clears throat> um, Peter's super interested in the way that they go through suffering. And he wants to make sure that they're doing it well because it's hitting them hard. Peter's writing to an audience that will, if not already, will soon be facing um, the persecution of Nero, which um, is quite literally a persecution of fire, for those of you that know your Christian church history. Um, So it's intense. This is intense, and it's really important that they understand it. So um, he's going to move on, and you guys are like, when are we going to talk about gifts? What are we doing? Um, We're going to get there. Uh, I want to talk real quick about, well, I want to remind you of something. Peter's going to transition now to um, instruction on practical living because, maybe you guys remember this story, Peter is first and foremost um, a pastor. He's a shepherd. And I want to remind you of this story in case you forgot. This is John 21, 15, after Jesus rises from the dead, he's having breakfast with his boys. Remember this? And just read this with me. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon... Son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said, okay, feed my lambs. And now remember, he's going to do this three times. And each time, for those of you that know the story, is a, is a strike against Peter's heart, because how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. So I just want you to imagine if that's you for a second, what would it be like for the risen Lord, your King, your God, to look at you and tell you something three times. Um, it's hard to put into language just how much that would change you. Can you imagine? It would, your DNA, who you are, would be so, so altered for your life that when you think... Imagine how Peter thinks about churches and congregations and people now. Imagine, imagine every time he's taking care of someone, he just hears that ringing in his ears. So, you read a book like First Peter, and you see that—excuse me—you see that he just cares for people. Wow, what is going on? One, let's go thirteen. So he starts giving them instructions, and these instructions are um, understandable. They're really good, and they're saturated with Old Testament language. That's m- awesome. But he says, "I want you to be prepared. I want you to be sober-minded. I want you to set your hope." There's your another theme. He's going to talk about that a lot. Set your hope where it's supposed to be. Um, As obedient children, don't be conformed. So he's going to talk about obedience, and all of these commands. You're like you're tracking. They sound really. Le- they sound legit. They sound good. You're like, oh yeah, this is like I'm with you, Peter. He calls you to be holy, and you're like, yeah, totally. We should be holy. And then he goes down and he says, um, let's see, verse 22, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love. Check this one out. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And you're like, yeah, this is all good, really good instruction. He's pastoral. Um, But then he gets weird, and the book gets really hard to understand, and it gets really uncomfortable, and our sensibilities get ruffled when we read it. And I just want to show you this one. 2.13, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. Just pause. That's hard for us to handle sometimes. Imagine if you're underneath a Roman emperor who is on the hunt for you. And you're reading this letter, and you get to this part, and you're like, "He's lost his mind." I understand being holy, but being, but, but, um, be subject for the Lord's sake to human institution. What does that mean? And you can, if you guys can't feel it, I can. There's tension building in the room, right? It feels really frustrating. Um, and he just keeps going. This is this is First Peter. This is your Bible. He just keeps going. He talks about, um, look at this one. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Check. Good. Fear God. Yep, we love it. Look at this one. Honor the emperor. It's offensive. I'm offended that that guy's out killing people, and he says, honor the emperor. And this is like, ugh, like what, how do we fix it? How do we work this out? And I just want to pause and say this isn't a blanket statement. There's a lot of nuance here, and I think that there's a lot of conversation to happen. I don't think he's just saying things that we might think he's saying, but the context makes it clear that Peter is after the disposition of their heart. And then, look, he just doesn't stop. Eighteen servants or slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect. Hey, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the um, unjust. Just let it sit. I believe that when they were reading this letter for the first time, Made, this put a pit in their stomach when they first read it. So if it's putting a pit in your stomach, I think it's doing what it's supposed to do. He doesn't leave it there. There's a happy ending, and he works it out for you. But he's throwing it at you first. This is the brilliance of your Bible, you guys. It's great. It's a page-turner. So suddenly, practical living for Peter it gets really hard. He's giving instructions that, is, that are hard to swallow. Um, but then this whole thing takes a turn, and um, everyone's minds are blown. When we get to verse 219, if you're going to underline or highlight anything in First Peter, remember 219, okay? Go memorize it. So he's telling people whose whole life is defined by the fact that they're in service and submission to someone else, slaves, he says, I want you to do this. I want you to bend the knee to your masters, even the unjust ones. Watch this, verse 19. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. He's putting all your themes together, and he's doing it in a, with a stroke of brilliance here. What's he saying? <clears throat> Actually, this is awesome. In, in Greek, this is a, I won't bore you with the grammar, but this is, I will bore you with the grammar. This is a nominative, masculine, singular noun. Which means you can translate it as this is a gracious thing, or you can simply say this is grace. And your Bible translators have said this is a gracious thing. That's legitimate. But it's the word charis in Greek, just straight up. The grammar will allow you to say this is grace. That when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Just hold on to that. This is great. Um, Peter's not necessarily saying that suffering is God sent, that this is God's will that you suffer. What he is saying, though, that it is God's will that when the fire comes, you endure it in the right way. That is God's will, the way you act in the midst of it. He's going to call you to a higher level of behavior. And... Um, Let's talk about, uh, let's just zoom out, look at the picture. Can you think of anyone in the Bible who was called um, uh, a, cho- a chosen exile? He was, he was out of place with his own people, and he was chosen. He had his hope in the right place, and when he went and endured suffer- suffering, he, he rejoiced in the midst of the suffering and came out, pr- proved genuine. And you realize that this whole thing Peter's been doing, he's been taking you down a little, he's been hook, line, and sinkering you, like, right? And now he's going to give it to you. You took the bait, you started reading the book, and then you get to verse 19, and he says, I'm not just saying do this because I want you to arbitrarily just bend the knee and take suffering. I want you to do it in such a way that it, look at this, that it shows grace. Because who else showed grace? Go to verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure it, right? You, you sinned and your master beat you. What credit is that to you, right? But if when you do good and you suffer and suffer for it, um, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, you have been called right here. Here's the money. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might what? Follow in his steps. That's a hard word. But what's the point? What's the point? I'm, um, this is, oh man, this is what C.S. Lewis, some of you might be fans, some of you are not, I'm a fan. The last uh, fourth of mere Christianity, he just brings it home and, he, and he, he, he's building up that book to say at the end, you're becoming mini Christs. That's what this is all about. So I can give you little instructions. Peter can say, be holy, be prepared, honor the emperor, submit to authority, all of these things. But what I'm really after is that you get to the heart of it, which is, are you becoming like Christ? And as, you become, as your identity gets locked in place, God gives us grace and wisdom to navigate each situation with nuance. There's freedom in the ways that we navigate those. It's not just a blanket statement, you honor the emperor, because we know that in the Bible itself, they stood up to authorities and said, sorry, Jesus is king. How do we reconcile those two? Well, we know that what's really happening at the core is whether or not they're becoming like Jesus. So Peter throws the hard word at you and gives you all these instructions, but then he says, but here's what I'm really getting at. Are you becoming like Christ? Are you following in his footsteps? Do you see? Um. Oh, man. I wish we could talk about chapter 3. You guys, chapter 3 is unreal. But we can't. we got to go to chapter 4. Sorry, we'll go to 410 because I need to hurry. Chapter 4, verse 10, this is where we started. And I just want to, that's the background of Peter. Verse 10, he says, As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I want to point to this word right here. We're going to talk about the gift of service right here in verse 11. But check out where you first see the word. Did you catch it in verse 10? You see it right here? As each has received a gift, use it to what? Um, so... <laughs> This is funny, but the primary verb behind every gift is service. So what does it mean to have the gift of service if everyone has their gift to serve? And I'll I just, I'll let that sit with you. I just want to point out, God wants it clear that when he empowers you with something, he doesn't do it so that you can become a rock star. If you become a rock star according to his will, then praise God. I'll support you and buy t-shirts. But what he's mostly interested in is that he wants you to use your gift to serve. And then he says in verse 11, so whoever speaks as one who speaks, oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Okay, now pay attention. This is, now, now think about the whole book as we've, and man, we did a 30,000 foot view and I'm sorry, but just think about this picture for a second. What does it mean to serve with the service um, that is, I'm sorry, serve with the strength supplied by God? Put yourself in the shoes of someone who is undergoing persecution and suffering. And Peter writes you and he says, Hey, listen, 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 I know it's hard, but I want you to serve that master. I want you to bend the knee and I want you to honor your master despite the whips you get on the back because. If you do it with the heart of Christ, 2.19, it's grace. And you put all the pieces together and you realize this is what Jesus did. When he was lifted up on the cross and he was being spit at and and beat, and they were mocking him as he's being lifted up, what does he say? Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. And I want you to remember, he did that. Somehow, maybe not the smile physically on his face, but the disposition in his heart and the resolution of his soul with the Father's will uh, allowed him to say that. But what was the payoff? The whole world stood back and, if you will, in awe said, that's grace. And what we have now is good news we actually have a message that changes the world because we've seen and experienced grace. And so he says, listen, I know you're undergoing, now this is, now let's just, pastorally, let's go into our modern day situations. You're all going through suffering and trials and challenges of your own. And if any of them are sourced in other individuals putting that upon you, there's a choice before you as a Jesus follower. You can retaliate and lash back in a way that fights sin with sin. Or you can honor them and love them and love your enemy. That came from a very important man, yeah? Love your enemy. Because when you do that well, you actually show grace. And there's something divine that happens in that moment that melts the heart of the persecutor. And the church wins. We take back the world because we don't fight violence with violence and evil with evil, we wash the feet of the people that hate us the most. This is the principle, the principle of 1 Peter um, and what I think service looks like in the book. And so now, um, some of you are called, you're equipped, you're, the Holy Spirit comes and he activates that gift within you and some of you are called to serve in situations and in places more than others because of where you're at in life. And I just want to remind you, you have a God on your side that is filling you up with the strength of Jesus to be lifted up on a cross and serve the world in that moment. So when, you're, when you have guests over and you don't want to serve them or whatever, <laughs> take heart because it's an incredible gift that you've been given in that moment. You actually have the potential to show grace. This is grace.